Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the week's top political stories. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. We're here to give you the facts so you can form your own opinion. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for being with us. We're recording this episode on August 15th, but by the time it's released, the first Republican primary debate will have concluded on the 23rd, and the race to secure the GOP nomination will officially be underway. Here to help us unpack the race for the White House is staff writer Ellen Morrissey. What's up, Ellen? Hey, Victoria. Not much. How's it going with you? It's going well. I am uh, getting ready to take a quick little end of summer vacation to San Diego. So I'm excited for that. How about you? How's the end of your summer shaping up? It's good. It's, you know, it's busy, but interesting stuff happening all the time. The presidential race is definitely heating up. So as I mentioned, by the time this episode is released, the first Republican debate will have already happened in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. If our listeners might have missed the first night of debate action in the GOP field, what were some of the storylines and key details going into the debate that they should know about? Well, as we've talked about before, Donald Trump currently stands as the pretty clear front runner in the majority of the polling that's been conducted over the course of this summer. Trump, we've also seen him receive unprecedented criminal indictments in uh, four separate criminal cases since leaving office. But we haven't seen these charges substantially reduce his lead in the primary. He's actually increased his lead over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the polling we've been seeing from 538. Their August 10th national polling average had Trump at nearly 54% and DeSantis at just over 14%. Going into the debate, the debate Trump uh, said multiple times that he did not plan to attend, though as of recording, I don't think we have a final answer on that question. So listeners will have to fill in the blanks there. And how about the rest of the field who qualify to take the debate stage? Currently, we've got eight candidates, including Trump, who have qualified. The others are Doug Burgum, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott. And last time we had you on the show to talk about the presidential election, we discussed there being maybe twice as many noteworthy candidates in the mix. So what did these eight candidates do to qualify for the debate that the others weren't able to achieve? So there are four key requirements that candidates need to meet to get up on the first uh, debate stage. First, the basics. They have to meet the constitutional requirements to be eligible to be president and have filed their campaign with the FEC. The next is they need to have made some pretty serious fundraising progress. Uh, They need to provide evidence that they've received campaign donations from 40,000 unique donors with at least 200 unique donors in at least 20 states and or territories. Requirement number three is the candidates need to sign a pledge committing them to not participate in any debates unsanctioned by the RNC for the rest of the cycle. They need to agree to share their campaign data with the RNC. And this one's been getting the most headlines. They need to commit to supporting the eventual Republican nominee. And then the fourth requirement is no later than 48 hours before the debate, the candidate needs to receive at least 1% support in three national polls or 1% support in two national polls and in one early state poll. And the early states being Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and or Nevada. Something that's I think is a little bit interesting about this, this might be a uniquely Ballotpedian obsession with 
arcane nuances and rules. Last presidential cycle, there was a lot of, it was a pretty big deal that Democrats were adding this fundraising, a fundraising threshold to their debate qualification criteria. But during the Democratic debates in 2020, candidates could qualify by meeting either the polling threshold or the fundraising threshold. However, this time around, the RNC's new fundraising criteria, it's its like an and thing. They have to meet fundraising and polling. So it's created a much narrower field of, of contenders on, on the first debate stage. You know, back in the first debate for Democrats in 2020, there were so many candidates that they had to split it into two nights of debates, you know, and it's, it's seeming like we probably won't see that this time around. Yeah, it'll make having those harder discussions a little bit easier with fewer candidates on the states for sure. Do these requirements differ at all for what's necessary to qualify for the second GOP primary debate? So the second debate will be here before we know it on uh, September 27th, and it'll take place in Simi Valley, California at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Many of the qualifications for debate number two are just higher thresholds of the same criteria for debate number one, with The goal, I think, being to narrow the field of candidates and identify the real contenders in the race. For the second debate, according to reporting from Politico, candidates will be required to poll at at least 3% in two national polls or 3% in one national poll and two polls conducted in early states. And then candidates will also be required to have 50,000 unique donors with at least 200 donors from 20 different states or territories. And then the last time we talked, we didn't have a whole lot of campaign finance information for the candidates at that point in the race. But now we have the the campaign finance reports from July 15th. So let's go over those numbers. But first, could you give us a quick refresher on the terms used when talking about campaign finance? For sure. So receipts is a broad term referring to all money that goes into a campaign account, including contributions by individuals, dividends or interests on loans or investments made by the campaign, transfers of money from other political committees and offsets to a campaign's expenditures in the form of rebates or refunds. Contributions specifically refers just to the individual donations to a campaign. So like you or I donating five bucks to whoever. And then uh, disbursements is a term that we use just for campaign spending. Now, how are the numbers looking in the race for the Republican nomination? So Trump, unsurprisingly, uh, leads the field in receipts with over 32 million as of June 30th. DeSantis places second with about 20 million, followed closely by Ramaswamy with 19 million. Then we've got Burgum, Haley, Johnson and Scott all hovering around the 10 million mark. DeSantis has the most individual contributions to his campaign so far with just under $20 million. Then uh, Trump again leads the way in disbursements, disbursements having spent over $12 million so far. But it's a narrow lead as the rest of the candidates I just mentioned are all hovering between six and ten and a half million in campaign spending themselves. And how about the cash on hand for some of these candidates? It's a measurement of how much money a campaign has currently available in its campaign accounts, which can be a good indicator of how a campaign is being run and where a candidate might stand moving forward. For sure. Yeah. Once again, Trump has the most cash on hand with about $22.5 million. But next up is someone who hasn't placed super high in, in the previous numbers we've looked at. We've got Tim Scott close behind with just over 21 million to work with. Then DeSantis has about 12 million. Ramaswamy is around 9 million. And then Haley has almost 7 million. 
And how about on the other side of the aisle? We know it's likely that incumbent President Joe Biden will be the nominee for the Democratic Party, but that hasn't stopped a few others from entering the race. Uh, What's the status there? Yeah. So Joe Biden currently has about almost $20 million in receipts to work with and has received roughly $9 million in contributions. His campaign has kind of been getting off to a slower start than we've seen on the Republican side. Um, And so he hasn't done a whole lot of spending so far. But I imagine we'll see that figure inflate as we get closer to the general. Um, The two other Democrats that have entered the race are Marianne Williamson and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Williamson's campaign finance report has her disbursements, contributions, and receipts, each at around one and a half million, which isn't particularly high. Kennedy's campaign finance numbers um, are rivaling some of the candidates we're seeing run in the Republican primary. All of his receipts reflect individual contributions, about six and a half million dollars, and he's spent nearly two million dollars so far. And before I let you go, we touched on this the last time you were on the show, but what's the latest? on the DNC's proposal for reordering the early presidential primary calendar. Last time we talked, there were several states affected were seeking extensions. So what is the latest with that? So as a reminder, South Carolina was selected to hold the first primary on February 3rd, 2024, followed by New Hampshire and Nevada, both on February 6th, Georgia on February 13th, and Michigan on February 27th. Um, The proposal was approved by the full Democratic National Committee on February 4th, 2023. States selected for early primaries originally had a deadline of January 5th, 2023 to submit information to the Rules and Bylaws Committee about how exactly they planned to change uh, their primary dates. Both Georgia and New Hampshire were given until June 2023 to submit that information, But then New Hampshire's deadline was further extended to September 2023. So as it stands, it still may be a little bit of time before we know the final DNC primary calendar. Under the proposal, it would still be possible for a state to hold an early primary on a day that doesn't match the committee's calendar. But that state would lose half of its delegates at the Democratic National Convention per a rule in the proposal. So it would effectively kind of reduce that state's influence over the presidential nominating process. Back in 2020, the first four states to hold primaries were Iowa on February 3rd, New Hampshire on February 11th, Nevada on February 22nd, then South Carolina on February 29th. And this cycle, the Republican Party will generally be following that kind of order of states. The dates will be slightly different. Well, we'll have to have you back to catch us up on the order of those primary states. But thanks for coming on and catching us up on the presidential race. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this week's episode of On the Ballot. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, if you have any questions, comments, or love for Ballotpedia, feel free to send it to us at ontheballot at ballotpedia.org or on Twitter at Ballotpedia. I'm Victoria Rose, and thanks for listening.